There comes a time in the spiritual life when one of the major things God is up to is to lovingly help us to see ourselves more clearly. We need a practice that offers us a way of opening to the love of God in the places of our brokenness and sin, which is the only way true spiritual transformation ever takes place. There's a time where we need God to help open us up, where we need a practice that enables us to open up to, interestingly enough, the love of God to meet us in our brokenness and our sin. To see ourselves more clearly. When did I begin to see myself more clearly? I was reflecting on this phrase because it stood out to me as I read through this chapter on self-examination by Barton. Thinking about when did I start to understand and know myself? When did I start to get beyond looking and reading in my Bible and circling my name because, you know, I was little and I just liked my name in the Bible and not. other people marked it up, so I circled my name. And uh, it's in lots of places in the Old Testament, not so much the New. Uh, and so I, I think about, like what I mentioned last week, that, yeah, I started to, to get a sense a little bit about who I was as I read the Bible and got into middle school and, uh, as I mentioned last week, reading with a commentary a little bit. And then I remember just in, in my youth group leader uh, helping me to start to understand some things where I would feel something and maybe not feel so good about who I was. And I'd be like, okay, what's going on with me? What did I, what did I do wrong? Or why, why am I feeling this way? I'm feeling guilty about this. Uh, can I tell you what happened? Can you tell me what that might be? And I had an incredible youth pastor who uh, was much used by God in that way for me to see myself more clearly, to learn what that was. College, of course. Uh, a time where, yeah, I think I saw, started to see a little more of who I was because, again, mostly friendships, um, where we would talk about God, talk about our relationship with God. I, I was in a group of guys. There were 12 of us. We met for three and a half years from uh, second semester of our freshman year until we graduated. Every week talking about our relationship with God, praying for each other, praying for our campus. Uh, I would say, though, that um, one of the, f the first times, though, um, first might be the wrong word, one of the most significant moments, though, came later as I got into adulthood or young adulthood, depending on what you would say about age. Uh, and that was in 2008 uh, when I experienced something I had not experienced before, uh, or at least not experienced to that level, something called anxiety and something called a panic attack, and just got into that place where I needed help. And so I ended up in a counselor's office and started to see myself even more clearly, you might say, to understand uh, who I am and, and what was going on inside of me. And then in 2011, I was introduced to the Enneagram, and over the past seven years, eight years, a whole nother layer of understanding has come because of the Enneagram wisdom, tying together with the Spirit of God showing me more of, of who I am. What about you? Do you see yourself more clearly? What has done that for you in your life? Have you experienced times in your life that have helped you in particular? Maybe you too have had a season where you have met with a counselor. Or you too have gone through uh, the study of scripture and found the scriptures really helping you understand yourself in a deeper way. Maybe there's been a discipleship relationship where someone came alongside you and said they were going to help walk along with you to understand what it means to follow Jesus more intimately. Maybe you started to see yourself more clearly when you first got married. And maybe some of that first clearly in your case was, wow, I'm way more selfish than I thought I was. And that happened. And of course, I didn't mention what probably has helped me see myself more clearly most of all, which is parenting, because that's just what parenting does. You just have this reflection on yourself in a whole new way. I remember the first time, just an aside, when I uh, saw my son, when he was younger, do something in like a frustration, like with his clenched fist in his face, and I was like, oh, I've done that before. Where did he learn that? Oh, that was from me. Yeah, it's just this you know, wonderful reflection to see ourselves more clearly. Seeing ourselves more clearly is vital for us in our relationship with Jesus, as followers of Jesus. 
I would say it's vital to us as human beings, but especially in follow, following Jesus. But I've found that it's not uh, that important to all people, or it's not always important to people. I, I was reminded of this this past week. I, I did a, a workshop with the Enneagram, with an organization, and I, I just was reminded that um, sometimes like thinking about who you are, understanding why you do what you do, your motivations, uh, some people gravitate towards it really quickly and want to dive in really deep. And others, I have a little bit of this standoffish, like, I think I might be good. Like, you know, I'm just kind of going, going through life. Uh, I think there's some uh, general categories where this can happen as well. I think they're, in my experience at least, limited as it is. Uh, women have a tendency to want to see themselves a little more clearly, and men have a tendency to go, yeah, that's okay. Uh, I'm good. I mean, I just, this is, this, this is who I am, so, you know, kind of, there you go. And I think generationally, we can even see some of this as well. I think uh, the older generations, the baby boomer generation, maybe not so much. I remember um, just even some of the things that my parents went through, you know, that today, if you went through those experiences, the first thing you do from, that somebody suggests after praying is go see a counselor. And in, back in the 50s and 60s with my parents, nobody was telling them to, like, go see a counselor. Or, or to take that, that time to really dig into to what, it, what has happened. My dad tragically lost his first wife. And nobody, there was no conversation about, you, you probably should go talk with somebody really about this. Like in that time. So there's a generational piece to that. Of course, uh, if you're a millennial, I, I, I honestly you know, don't mean this meanly to you. But millennials, you might be too much into yourselves and knowing yourselves at times. And uh, I, I have worked with millennials all of my ministry career, so I don't know if I get credence to say that and not get thrown out the door for it. But anyway, uh, of course, Gen Xers, we're just like in the middle and perfect and everybody ignores us now, so we're good. But actually, Gen X, we, we are people who are, uh, have become more aware. It, but it's not always important to everybody, but I do believe as followers of Jesus, it should be. As followers of Jesus, because we want to experience God because we want to experience God's transformation in our life, seeing ourselves more clearly is vital. And it's vital because it says something about our relationship with God. You see, we could think, well, I just need to see God more clearly, and that'll take care of it. But it's actually not enough. It's actually not enough. David Benner says this in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself. There is actually no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self. And no deep knowing self without a deep knowing of God. This is a, a reflection on what others have written, like John Calvin, just simply about the fact that as we get to know ourselves and who we are and see ourselves more clearly for who we are, we begin to get to know who God is in a deeper way. And as we begin to get to know God in a deeper way, it starts then <clears throat> to reflect back to us to understand ourselves. Therefore, God invites us to see ourselves more clearly so that we will know and desire God more deeply. And we do this through self-examination. Now, at first, the word examination does not evoke positive memories for me. It was always the first thing I looked at when I got my syllabus in college, like what's the exam schedule, what exams are we going to take? Uh, it's something that meant uh, study and exposure of stuff that I didn't know or that I, I thought I, I knew but then realized I didn't know. Uh, though as a teacher, when I was in a classroom for five years, I loved exam day because it was like the most restful day of the week for me to be able to give exams. Just here you go, go do that. <clears throat> For some of us, the thought of our annual physical exam with our doctor brings worrisome and negative connotations. The word exam is just not necessarily a positive word at first. However, Barton describes it in a way that I believe is inviting. She says this, self-examination is a practice that facilitates spiritual awakening. An awakening to the presence of God as God really is. And an awakening to ourselves as we really are. It's a practice that facilitates spiritual awakening. Awakening. I like that. I want to be awakened to God. And if Benner is correct in his assertion that knowing ourselves helps us to know God, then I want to be awakened to myself as well because I want to know and experience God more in my life. 
So specifically then, we are invited by God to practice examine. Because it is the sacred rhythm that enables us to see ourselves more clearly so we will know and desire God more deeply. Now, as you know, this practice is going to be part of our focus on renewal of self as we continue in our season of renewal this summer. We've looked already at spiritual disciplines of prayer, engaging scripture, particularly through Lectio Divina, recognizing that these are sacred rhythms that form and purify our desire for God above all other idolatrous desires. This week, again, we are coming to what is called examine. We're invited to practice it because, again, it helps us to see ourselves so that we desire God. And examine, like prayer and like scripture engagement, will serve as a habit to nurture and form our desire for God. Now let me note here that as we look at this topic, it is now that we're going to get off schedule with the book, which for some of you will be highly frustrating and annoying because you like that order, and I completely understand that. And others of you, it's just a different way to have an adventure. But basically, with July 4th, with some of the family nights, uh, also with just a bit of my schedule coming up in, in preaching, uh, we are going to be off schedule in the sense that last week we talked about Lectio and then on Wednesday night did chapter 3, which is about scripture engagement in Lectio particularly. I'm working today from chapter 6, which is not going to be talked about in a Wednesday discussion until like the end of July. So I apologize for that in advance, but I want to let you know that, that it is something, again, that you can come back to and that you can, can hear from. But this idea of examine or self-examination is not surprisingly very biblical. It's something that has references throughout the scriptures of what God is thinking about regarding our hearts in this way. Proverbs speaks of the Lord examining the heart, stating that the Lord sees clearly what a person does, examining every path in Proverbs 21. The psalmists speak of God's examination, that in Psalm 11, the Lord is in his holy temple. He observes everyone on earth, his eyes examining them. And again, later, the psalmist says that the Lord probes the heart and examines at night, testing the psalmist for righteousness. In the New Testament, we have Paul, who in various places speaks of people examining their own hearts and motives. 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, Paul says. And famously, in regard to communion, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So God is doing the examining, according to the authors and writers of Proverbs and Psalms. And as Paul says, there's also us who do our own self-examination, directed by the Spirit of God to see what's going on in us. But arguably, the most well-known admonishment to examination is Psalm 139, where the psalmist says this to God, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Do you know this passage? Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Two simple verses calling us to invite God to search us and know us and show us what is happening in us as we walk with God. And it really isn't just these two verses. It's actually the whole psalm. So in a moment, we're going to look at that. But we're in, instead of preaching through the psalm, what I'm going to do is guide us actually through the steps of examine. And we're going to combine talking about Psalm 139 with doing the practice of examine right here and right now together. So that you can experience, as we've done with prayer and as we've done with Lectio, in anticipation of how you might want to incorporate this in your life. But before I do that, before we get to Psalm 139 and we practice that together, I want to remind us of a couple of very important truths about who God is and how God sees us before we ask for God's examination. And I am doing this because uh, it is so important for me personally that I remember these truths. Otherwise, my tendency, it might not be yours, but my tendency is to go or is to think very quickly that God 
in examination is going to potentially be harsh with me. See, sometimes, at least as I continue to uh, grow in my relationship with God, I realize I have tendencies to go back to places of shame or insecurity or guilt or over how I do with God. And so I almost picture, you know, my picture of God can sometimes be that God is ready to scold me in examination for all the things that I'm doing wrong. And, and that comes from different places. I think it comes from, from being human. I think it comes from the forces of darkness that deceive us. I think it comes from partly my upbringing that unintentionally the Christian school that I went to had some really, uh, some rules that were a little more strict that could kind of make you think that Walking with God was about some very specific things you had to do. Does this resonate with anybody? That sometimes if we think about God searching our hearts, our first inclination is not a loving, smiling God searching our hearts, but almost like, oh, oh gosh, oh, oh goodness, please, is this like my performance review where they like went back and read all my emails and like checked off where I said something I shouldn't have said? And I, you know, all that type of thing like in the work, like God's doing a performance review of, of me and you in this way. And, and it's, it's not that. Again, it's an invitation to see ourselves more clearly. Why? Because we will get to know God. We will get to know God. We will desire God more. And part of that is because as we work through examination, it's because we've remembered who God is and how God sees us. So, first of all, let's, let's talk about this about God. Again, it's daunting if we have the wrong view of how God sees us. If we think that God is out to catch us doing wrong, and that, that that's God's like, job in the world, like what, what God does with all the human beings in the world, most of all, is God is looking to zap you. God is looking to catch you in what you're doing wrong in this moment. God is a glorified bug zapper that's going to suck you in towards during examination and zap you for all that you do wrong. If we have that perspective, we will avoid examine. We will avoid going to the honest places. We'll avoid it because what are we expecting? An angry God. A God who wants to harm us, and yet God does not want to harm us. God does not want to harm us. God, at the core of who God is, is love. So when we remember that when we do examine, we are doing examine with the Spirit of God examining us for us to know who we are and what we've done from the point of view of love. God has been infinite love from infinity past and God will be love infinity future. This is the very nature of the Trinity. This is the reality of why the, the idea of God being triune is so vital practically to our faith. Sometimes growing up, it's like, Trinity, the word's never in the Bible. What does it even mean? And how does it even make a difference to my life that God is triune? It makes a massive difference to my life and my theology that God is triune. Because at the heart of the Trinity, as I understand it, it is God giving and receiving and sharing love within the Godhead, three in one. And that love is then extended to creation. I mentioned this briefly last week. The, the, reason, the only reason I can see why God created this world and created us is out of love. God is loving God's self, and God in loving God's self says, let's have more love and spread it some more and give and receive it some more. And so God creates out of love. And yes, we rebel and we fall as human beings. And that story is, is illuminated to us in Genesis 3, even through all the way to 11. But the heart of it begins with back here, even before God created, God is love. The God who comes to examine you and me is love. It is the preeminent characteristic of God. It is the characteristic of God that is not dependent on any other reality in this world. What do I mean by that? I mean, even for God to be holy, as in moral purity, there must be some sense of unholiness or impurity. For, for us to have an idea of holy, for God to be good, to understand the idea of good, there's some sense of bad. For God to be love, there's just love. There's just love. There's no, you don't need a comparison for God is love. For God to be just, there needs to be injustice. This is why when Paul says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, because infinity future, when we are with God, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be love. Hope will be fulfilled. Faith will be no more. 
because we will see God face to face as the story of Adam and Eve describes of walking in the cool of the garden with God. The God that examines you is the God of love. Now that helps me go, oh, maybe this will be okay then. It is paralleled in the scriptures with the parenting relationship, isn't it? When God speaks about discipline and says the father disciplines his children because he loves them. I discipline my children because of what I am doing my best to believe will help them be who God has meant for them to be. I do that out of love. The disengaged permissive parent who lets their kids do whatever may feel loving in this generation as parents and is really tempting, really tempting. My wife and I had the conversation last week. I, I said, I, I want to give up. I want to be done. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> Just, this is too hard. They can do whatever they want. But it's not loving for me to do that. When discipline happens, when consequences are given, when shaping comes, it's not even necessarily a, uh, for consequences or discipline, but just shaping of a situation. It's because I love my kids. And I, don't, I don't even love them like God loves them or God loves me because I, I, I'm conditional, because I'm human. I want to love them unconditionally, but I know I don't. But we have an unconditional God loving us. So if we see God this way, we can come to examine and go, okay, God, I'm okay with you seeing me more clearly and showing me. Because you're doing it from a place of love in Jesus Christ. It's from a place of love. But second with that is then remembering not only who God is as the God of love, but also how God sees me. It's a daunting practice to do examine if you have the wrong view of yourself, if I have the wrong view of myself and how God sees me, then again, that creates difficulty in examine. So how does God see us? Who actually are we? What is our identity? We have three markers of identity. We are image bearers of God. We are the children of God. And we are masterpieces. I actually believe this is true of every human being. Every human being has not chosen to embrace their identity, but every human being is an image bearer of God. And that image, the scriptures, never, never indicate that the image is obliterated. What I mean by that is the image may be marred, but the image is never taken away from a human being. Every human being bears the image of God, whether they recognize it or not. Every human being is a child of God. Not every human being recognizes that. Why do I say that? Because if someone's not a child of God, then we've changed the character of God. But God is the divine parent, regardless of whether a human being sees it or not that way. God's character as father does not change because someone doesn't believe they're a child of God. God's still divine parent. That doesn't change. And so every human being is a child of God, whether they see that or not. This is what is articulated in the scriptures, in Romans, in Galatians. And then, and then finally, Ephesians chapter 2, we are all masterpieces. We all are created to do good works. Every human being is created to do good works. They may not walk with God yet, they may not be in relationship, reconciled relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but they're meant to be. Every human being is meant to be with God. That's God's heart. God wants all to come to repentance and to know God. For we who are in Jesus Christ, we especially understand that we can come to self-examination knowing here is God who loves us. And we are bearing God's image. We are God's child, son and daughter. And we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now that, for me, helps me to be willing to come to examine. To know that, you know what's going to happen in examine? God's going to show me some things that aren't as good as they're supposed to be in my life. I don't even know if that's good English. Things that I should have done differently or motives that I need to recognize that are skewed or whatever else God wants to show me. 
But when I can come believing that God loves me and that I am God's child and that this is God doing this for God's best for me, that changes this experience of examine. And it helps, too, to remember what Paul says in Romans. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not God's anger. He doesn't say, God threatening you is what will lead you to repent. Nope. Threatening doesn't do much with me, with my children, frankly. Or at least nothing healthy. <laughs> God's kindness leads us to repentance. Where does that kindness come from? It comes from God being love. As 1 John says, God is love. As Jesus demonstrates in revealing the Father, God is love. As who we are as children, masterpieces, and image bearers, God is love, and his kindness leads us to repentance. So with these thoughts in mind of who God is and who we are in the eyes of God, I want us to come together to self-examination. I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 139 with me. And I want to invite you to take out uh, this sermon or journal, if you have a journal, or if you have a book that you take notes in uh, from sermons and such, to pull that out. I want to invite you to take, if you don't have one of those from the... Uh, from the bulletin, go ahead and take out the sermon notes. And I want to invite you to have a pen, and I want you to invite you to actually walk through, examine with me now as a practice as we look at Psalm 139. So I'm going to use today, a, uh, there's a number of different ways to do examination. I'm going to use a basic version of what's called Ignatian examine. Uh, Ignatius was a church father. There's actually a 40-day examine by Ignatius that is robust and uh, very insightful for who you are, but I'm going to use his basic version of five steps. Ruth Haley Barton offers a variation of this at the end of chapter six in her book. It's a little bit different. Uh, the, the most basic form of examine, I would say, is, that I've done personally, that I've heard of, is just simply sitting with God and saying, God, show me my sin, and then confessing it. <laughs> and that's pretty basic, but it's pretty helpful because I see it myself more clearly, and then God draws more nearly to me. So we're going to do five steps of Ignatian examine. Uh, going through Psalm 139, which means I'm going to read some of the scriptures and have you follow along with me of uh, the passage, and then we're going to work through these five steps. So the first one will be presence. We will simply, in Ignatian Examine, we come to the presence of God. We just sit in, and recognize God's presence with a few moments of silence. Then we review. We review our day if we're doing it daily or our week if we're doing it on a weekly basis or whatever your juncture of time is. And then we come to gratitude and expressing our gratitude for what has happened over these days or day. What are we grateful for? Then we come to desolation and consolation, which is where we start to get a sense of whether we've been connected to God or disconnected to God. I'll explain those words a little more in a few minutes. And then finally, we come to resolution or to resolve. Ignatius speaks of basically, in light of what you've reviewed, where, what do you resolve to do? Who do you resolve to be coming out of this time of examine? So we're going to begin again by looking at some of the scriptures, and then we'll pause for each of these steps as we do this together. So follow along with me at Psalm 139. I am going to read, I debated today, uh, but I am going to read from the New Living Translation. I recognize that's a little different from the NIVs you have in the in uh, the house bibles but i did it on purpose because there's some parts of it that have a little bit of language that i want you to hear it's a little bit different so psalm 139 starting in verse 1 presence coming into the presence of god O lord you have examined my heart the psalmist says likely to be david and know everything about me you know when i sit down or stand up you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. In these opening verses of Psalm 139, we see how God is always present to us, before and behind, when we travel, when we were at home, what we're going to say, what we do. 
You know everything about me, the psalmist says. You know everything I do. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And as the psalmist says, this is overwhelming to think of, that we are always in the presence of God. Other scriptures that tell us that God will never leave us nor forsake us, like Joshua and like Hebrews. But that we also have this chance that in awareness with God, we can be aware of God's presence to us and with us. And so as we come to examine, I invite you to close your eyes if you like to, but just to take a few moments. So be brief, not as long as we did a couple weeks ago, but take a few moments and just rest in the presence of God right now. That God is with us, that God is with you, and not just hovering over you and watching you, but right next to you to be in relationship with you. Let's sit in silence and rest in God's presence for a moment. Quiet ourselves. Psalm 139, verse 7 continues. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell on the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. I can never escape from your spirit. In other words, as we come to review, everything about our lives is known to God, no matter what, no matter where we've been, no matter even if we try to hide it in shadows. God already knows. So I want to invite you now to review your week or review the past two days if you want to go shorter. Write down some of the main aspects of what your previous week just held. Where did you, where did you go? What did you do? Who were you with? What meetings did you have? What experiences did you have? Take a few moments and review your week and write down what it is that you did, who you were with, where you went in preparation for the next two steps.
Let's move forward to verse 13, Psalm 139. And out of this review of our week, we move to gratitude. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb, the psalmist says. Thank you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Here the psalmist expresses gratitude for who God has made him to be. Expresses the gratitude of this is too wonderful for me even to conceive of how you have made me. Thank you. Thank you for what you have given me. In examine, gratitude is the chance for us to recognize who God has made us to be. What God has been doing again. Ann Voskamp has this uh, quote that she uses, if you know her work uh, about gratitude, talking about how gratitude turns what we have into enough. This is extremely helpful and a needed discipline of our lives when we stop and recognize that the culture around us clearly tells us all the time what we have isn't enough. There's always a better house or a better car or a better meal or a better insurance plan or a better phone or a better phone plan or a better whatever, right? There's always something better. What we have is never enough. That's really the greatest message of our, our culture particularly, I think. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. Gratitude is a key discipline. So as you review your week, where are you grateful to God? As you look back over your week, where do you have gratitude? Now, as we come to verse 19 and the fourth step in examine, it's going to feel like a really strange right turn. So, verse 18, or I'll start, I'll start at 17 so we can feel kind of the shift. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? How, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, you are still with me. O God, if only you would destroy the wicked. What? Okay, well, anyway. Not sure where this is coming from, but anyway. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and 
Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Okay, I want you to note the transition particularly, instead of from verse 18 and 19, but the transition from 22 to 23. Look at that again. 22 ends with this idea of, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know if there's anxious stuff in me. I I wonder if it's as if uh, David, reflecting on himself and life, has this moment of anger, desire for vengeance, and then like he catches himself. like, God, destroy them. I hate them. Ah, wait a minute. (sighs) Search me, O God. Know my heart. Ah, test me. Know my anxious thoughts about my enemies. Because, yeah, I'm probably not supposed to, like, hate with this kind of vengeance. You know, whatever David totally understood at that time, we don't know in full because of, of the Old Testament. But we know that Jesus has clearly told us, love your enemies. So I just wonder, I wonder if David knew something, because David had the spirit. And I wonder, uh, I, I do not know. I don't, have, I don't have a commentator who's necessarily told me that this is what it is in the Psalms. I just am wondering in this shift that he catches himself and says, okay, God, I just made some really strong statements about hating people, and maybe that wasn't good. So go ahead and search me and show me, show me what's going on in my heart. What's going on in my heart? And in this, then, we get to this idea and examine of desolation and consolation. Desolation is a word that simply means, uh, when do we feel desolate? When do we feel uh, like we're moving into the desert? When do we feel like we're parched and thirsty? In other words, when do we feel, as followers of Jesus, that we are disconnected from God? When do we look back in our week and we can say, I think I resisted God here. Because this is what we do with the review. After naming our gratitude, we're invited to first look for where in the past week did we experience desolation? Did we experience this sense of being separate from God? Now, it might have been us in the sense that we might have done something. We might have said something. We might have had an attitude about something. And as we review, we realize, wow, uh, this, is, this is not walking with you, God. This is resisting you in this moment. And that means if I'm resisting you, I'm being disconnected from you. This is also a space where we can be honest with God and say, God, I don't know if I did anything wrong. You're going to have to show me. I just kind of felt disconnected from you. Like I felt like I thought I, I should feel connected with you when this happened, and I didn't. I actually felt desolation like this separation. This would be uh, akin to Psalm 22 or Jesus' words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's desolation. It's desolation when we think that God has left us. And then there's desolation when we left God. Now, the point of the review and the point of sitting with the Spirit of God is that because we know God never leaves us nor forsakes us, that God is always with us as his children, then we get to ask God, show me, reveal to me how you were there, even though when I review my week, I thought you weren't. Does that make sense? Am I being clear with what I'm trying to say there? That this is what desolation is. It's for us to recognize where we resisted God, where we pulled away from God, and also to get God's insight on where we felt like God might not have been there. Then the flip side is consolation. When did we feel particularly connected to God in this past week? Another way of saying it is, when did we recognize, or when we look back, when did we cooperate with God? Rather than resisting God's invitation to engage with God in a certain way, we know that we cooperated with God. In this interdependent relationship with God, God invited us and we stepped towards it. This is the search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Show me anxious thoughts. Show me if anything offended. Well, there's parts of your week where you didn't offend God, probably. I mean, I believe that. We do good things. We walk with God. We obey. We cooperate with God. That's there too. The, the, the verses of 23 and 24 are, are not an automatic, search me, O God, so I can see all my wicked wretchedness of my sin. Hold on a second. You're an image bearer of God, a child of God, and a masterpiece. 
in Jesus Christ, you are not a wicked, wretched sinner. That's, that's just not what God says about us. In Jesus Christ, we are image bearer, child, and masterpiece. So there is good coming from you. And it happened when you cooperated with God, when you felt connected to God, right? In that way. So take a few moments. Look back over your week. Can you see desolation? Can you see consolation? This is a really key piece of Ignatian examine or of any examine that we're wanting. This is us seeing ourselves more clearly and seeing God more clearly, particularly in the day-to-day. So take a few minutes and look back. finally we come to the end of the psalm and resolution or to resolve the last half of verse 24 and lead me along the path of everlasting life and lead me in the way everlasting i believe is how the niv says it we walk through this movement of examine settling into god's presence reviewing what we have done where we've been who we've been with responding in gratitude to god looking then for God to reveal to us desolation and consolation. And then we resolve. We resolve, God lead me. We resolve, God lead me to where you want me to go. God lead me to the change that you want me to make. God lead me to the repentance that you are calling me to offer. God lead me to let go so that transformation will come. Just a brief moment here as you look back on what you've reflected in this time of examine. What might you resolve to do or to be as you look back?
we are invited by God to practice examine because it is the sacred rhythm that enables us to see ourselves more clearly so that we will know and desire God more deeply. If we want to continually be renewed as a disciple, desiring God above all else, living attentively in the here and now with God, then we are invited to the Spirit's examination of our life so we can get to know ourselves, so that we can get to know God, so that we will desire God above all else. But without seeing ourselves more clearly, we run the risk of desiring everything else but God and his kingdom. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your love. Uh, thank you again for the truth and the reality of who you are and how you see us. I know for me that that is so significant to be willing to let you examine my heart. To remember that you come to that examine with your spirit lovingly to me. And that it's not, it's not automatically all bad. That you want to show me where we've cooperated together so that I'll cooperate more in the future. And you want to show me where I've struggled so that you can help me overcome in the future. And So Father, I pray that each of us would remember this. That it is your love, it is your kindness that leads us to come to you to see ourselves more clearly, that, God, we truly would desire you more deeply each and every day in our life. In Jesus' name.